So that's for all of you who your New Year's resolution is to shed a few Christmas pounds. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what does. Like, I'm ready to go run a marathon, even though I don't run. And so, uh, welcome. And so just a quick public service announcement, though. For those of you who are already behind on those New Year's resolutions, whether it was to start getting up early, cutting out those carbs, the sugar, the soda, whatever, they don't officially start till tomorrow, right? It's like the first Monday of the year. We say New Year's, but we really mean that first Monday. So you're, you're uh, kind of still, you still got some time to, to prepare yourself there. Now, one of the things that is the most common New Year's resolution for a lot of people is to lose some type of weight. They want to lose maybe some, it's physical weight, emotional weight, whatever it is. But for those of us who like to go to the gym, or that's one of the things, uh, something that I need, and perhaps you need to, is like a good workout playlist. And I'm going to take us uh, back in time a little bit before like you could sync your Bluetooth headphones through your phone and, and listen on an app streaming wise. You had to use one of these. This is way back in the day. This is called a Walkman. How many of you guys owned one of these? Show of hands, right? Yeah, I I technically didn't own one. My parents did. It never really worked because by the time I was into to music, we had these. It was like the next step up, which was the CD version of the Walkman. Now, I had this cool thing that was like this fanny pack that you could put your CD player in with your big old headphones, but you had to get the anti-skip one. You remember that? Because if you didn't have the anti-skip one and you'd run it, it'd bounce every five seconds, it would cut out. And then in 2003, our lives were changed forever with the introduction of the iPod. Now, the original iPod, believe it or not, had buttons. You guys remember that? Like, you actually had to press a button to use an iPod? I know, completely outrageous, you know, back then. Who were we 17 years ago or whatever? Math, I don't do math well. (laughs) But then they uh, came out with these iPods called the Shuffles a few years later. Now, the original Shuffle, (laughs) my friends and I always joke, it looked like a pregnancy test. If you remember, it was like that little long white stick. And then they, I think they caught on to that. And so then they came up with these colored ones. But these were designed for you to work out, go to the gym, to, to download that soundtrack or that playlist. Now, the original iPods, though, there was that, that like learning curve where you had to figure out how to get your music off of a CD and get it onto your computer and then from the computer onto your iPod. And if you figured that out 24 hours later, you got an acceptance letter into MIT. Because, like, literally, you're a rocket scientist and be able to figure out how to do that. And, and so it was interesting, though. Like, did you ever burn CDs? You know, back in the day when we would illegally download music, I mean, we would buy music, and then we would create these, like, CD mixtapes, like Eric's Summer Cool Jams 2003. Like, you know, come on, you all been there. Don't, don't, don't. Hey, you're judging me right now. It's a new year. You can't judge me for at least another four hours, all right? And you had those where you're just like, hey, this is kind of the mood or the season I was in. And if you still held on to those by any chance, it'd be funny to like go back in time and look at maybe like the genres of music you liked like progressively throughout your formative years. This was the season I was into punk music. This was the heavy grunge phase. This was the, the hard rock phase, the classical phase, the country phase, whatever it was. But it's interesting, though, psychologists say that our mind and our hearts kind of default to certain things, certain soundtracks, if you will, during seasons of life. That there are certain things that you and I alike, we turn to when we're in good moods, we're in happy moods, joyful moods. And likewise, when we're feeling kind of down or depressed or sad or anxious, we turn to other things. If I were to ask you, though, what would be the soundtrack of 2021 for you? What kind of songs would be on that playlist? 
Would they be happy songs, joyful songs? Would they be like somber songs? Would they be songs that are kind of like meh and then like a fat beat drops in the middle, you know, because that's what represented your year? If you had a soundtrack for this last year or for the last few years, the few decades or your life, what if we had soundtracks that kind of followed us along in life that we were able to play when those seasons and those times came along? We were able to kind of choose and pick. Now, I don't know what 2022 has in store for us, but I know one thing to be sure, and it's this, is that life will take a turn on you. Now, you're probably like, hey, Eric, this isn't like the rah-rah New Year's speech I'm expecting. Where's like the new year, new me? Let's get hyped up to, to achieve all of these goals. And I'm just trying to be honest. Like the last two years have been crazy, have they not? Like a little bit hectic. Nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just trying to survive. This year will also present turns in your life. Now, some of those may be good turns. It might be the first year that that business you started turns a profit. It could be that that person you're praying for, you finally meet that person and you kindle that love and you live happily ever after or until they move away and graduate college, you never see them again. I don't know. It could be the year that all the hard work for your student you've seen over the last 18 years finally pays off and they get into the school of their choice. Or your life might take an unfortunate turn. I don't know, but I do know your life will take a series of turns this year. But you ever notice when you're in that moment before the turn happens is when we think the clearest about certain things. Like like before we're in the midst of that chaos or that trial where our life takes that turn, that's usually the time where we in our heart and our mind can resolve, well, if that happens to me, this is how I would respond. Or if that ever came my way or came barreling towards my life, I want to respond like he did or like she did. Or I don't want to handle it like they did over there. I want to handle it in this way because I believe it's better. And that's where I want to kind of start this year. A new year, a new season, a new series, a new sermon. Is that even though we don't know the turns life will take, life will take a turn on you. And right now, we all have the opportunity to choose that soundtrack, to pick that song, that when those turns happen, that is how I want to respond. That is the manner in which I want to respond to those turns. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians this morning. We're going to start a series called Greater Reward, and we're going to kind of work our way through the book of Philippians, uh, these big thematic things about it. But if I were to summarize the book of Philippians for us, it would be this, is that there is great reward in faithful obedience. And let me give you some context as we set it up this morning. There's this man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to this church in the place called Philippi, thus Philippians. And he's writing to them saying, hey, I know there's some things coming your way. I know life hasn't been easy. There's some trials and temptation. There's some stuff in your past trying to creep its way back to the surface. But I want to remind you to remain faithful and obedient to Jesus because that brings a greater reward, not just in the life that is to come, but in this life here and now. Now, Paul isn't just writing from a desk. He's not at like his nice mahogany and his big leather chair. He's writing from prison. He's in jail and he's reminding this church, be faithful. So I want to pause here and say, if we were to go back some 2,000 years ago, what do a prominent businesswoman in a male-dominant society a soldier who turns into a jailer who was a Gentile, meaning he was a non-Jewish man, and a little girl born into slavery, what do they have in common? 
You see, if we were to look into Acts chapter 16, we would kind of see a little bit of the backstory of the book of Philippians. There's Paul and his counterpart, his co-worker's name was Silas, and what they did to start churches, they'd go to these new cities. And they'd go into the city, they'd head directly to the synagogue where all the Jews would worship. And they would go in and say, hey, don't know if you've heard the news, Jesus, the Savior, God's one and only Son, he's fully God, fully man, he's come, he's lived, he died, he rose again, we have a new way of life, let's kind of abandon this and let's go to what Jesus has set before us and they would essentially start Christian churches. So Paul and Silas, they make their way to Philippi, they go into the center of town, there is no synagogue to be found. So they find their way to a river and they find a small group of Jews worshiping. Some were ethnic Jews, some were proselytes, meaning they converted. And they approach this woman by the name of Lydia. They share the gospel. Lydia gives her life to Christ. Now we learn some fun facts about Lydia. We learn that she was a dealer of purple cloths. Now to you and I, you're like, I don't know, what's the big deal? I go to Ross, I go to TJ Maxx, Target. There's lots of purple cloths. But back then, purple cloths was like the luxurious line that you wanted to have. Like we're not talking they went to Meijer and picked up something or Target and picked up something out there. Like we're talking she's selling Louis Vuitton. Gucci, coach, like she is selling the best of the best. of. She's this prominent businesswoman. And Paul says, hey, we were kind of starting to share this gospel. We're planting these churches. God has sent us on this mission. Can we use your home? And she says, absolutely. So imagine being this woman, Lydia. You're probably widowed, they believe. You've got this home. You've got this business. You're following Jesus for the first time. And these church people, so to speak, are starting to come into your home, and you hear a knock on the door, right? She's got the candles lit, right, because women always light candles around the house, make it smell good. And they open the door, and in walks this big, burly, gruff guy. Hey, welcome. Is this where the church thing is? Come on in. What's your story? Well, I used to be a soldier, now I'm a jailer. Oh, what kind of work, then, do you do? Well, my jail in particular, we, we take people who are against the country and we, we hold them unjustly. And I'm the one who's in charge of making sure they don't get out. No matter what they want, no matter how good their case may be, I just got to make sure that they stay in prison. So why are you here? Well, you see, we had this guy by the name of Paul and Silas. You know Paul and Silas? Well, yeah, they were thrown into prison for, for starting churches like this one. And they just, they were in prison, they were in chains, and they shared the gospel with me. And, and I was just overcome with the grace of Jesus. And so now, here I am. I want to find out more. Well, welcome. Take a seat. A few moments later, there's a knock on the door. They open it. It's a young girl. She's a little disheveled. Her clothes are a little rattled. Come on in. What's your story? She said, well, these two men came to me. You see, I grew up. I didn't have a choice. I was sold to be into the company of others. And over time, I become possessed by a few demons. And then this man by the name of Paul comes along. You know Paul too? And he cast these demons out of my life through the power of Jesus, he said. For the first time, I had freedom. I had liberty. And he offered me a new Life, and I'm just here to find out more. A widowed, successful, prominent businesswoman, a soldier turned jailer, keeping people in prison for unjust reasons, a former demon possessed slave girl. What do they have in common? It's two things. Number one is that no Jew would want to be any of them, they want to be a woman because they were second tier citizens in that time. 
They certainly wouldn't want to be a Gentile because they weren't of the chosen people and most definitely not wanting to be demon-possessed. But the second thing is they become the foundation for arguably one of the most influential churches throughout history, the Church of Philippi. I say all this to set up this series that when Paul writes to say things like rejoice always, when Paul says things, trust in the strength of the Lord, not the strength of your might, your work, your plans, he's not writing to people who have had a good way of life. He's not saying, hey, try to be joyful even though maybe this year you didn't get your Christmas bonus. He's not writing to people who say, I know your, your, your plans, your inventory, whatever it is, wasn't quite the trajectory that you thought, but you still ended in the black, just maybe not as much. No, no, he's writing to people who life has already taken turn after turn after turn after turn after turn on them. And he's writing to also say, I know what you're going through, that you, we, I, have an opportunity to create that soundtrack to pick that song when life takes a turn. I know some of you are wanting to throw in the towel. I know some of you are wanting to give up, but trust me, remain faithful and obedient. It will be worth it. Lydia, I know you're struggling to find your worth and your identity outside of taking your business to the next level. Mr. Jailer, sir, I know you want to go back to the gig because that little glimpse of power felt good. To you, young lady, I know finding meaning and value in life may be difficult. Those are the people that Paul is writing to in the letter of Philippians. This is how that letter begins in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, so I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of here is Paul. He's in prison for an unjust reason for preaching the gospel, starting churches, and he writes to them, hey, I have joy when I think and remember you. Now, I've never been in prison before. I have no plans ever to be in prison. Hopefully that should give some of you solace. Unless we ever become a country where preaching the gospel or worshiping Jesus is outlawed, but that's a different conversation for a different time. Isn't it always easy to say and claim that you would be like that person I would stand strong amidst the persecution. If I got unjustly thrown somewhere, if I was mistreated, I'm going to handle it the right way, the God-centered way, until it actually happens. And here's Paul, the mental fortitude, the power of the Holy Spirit in him to say, I still remain full of joy. That is the song that Paul had to play over and over again, that even though I am persecuted for my faith, I still find joy in what he has done for me. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, if you're like me, that's probably not your gut and natural instinct. 
Because I have a tendency to focus on some of the negative stuff over the things to be joyful over. Like how many of us, we can go through life and we just become cynical and focus on what is not going right. Focus on the things that didn't come to fruition. Focus on the things that, that, that aren't really going as planned as we hoped and thought instead of choosing the joyous things that Jesus has put in front of us. Right? Like how many of you, like if you have young kids, like when your kids get up early, you like, you're just like, oh, come on, the alarm's not even up. I can't even, I'm supposed to get another 22 minutes here, son. Right, you ever been there? This week, we had the opportunity to have my family uh, visit us here in the great southern Midwest part of Illinois for Christmas. We didn't go to Seattle. We didn't go to San Diego. We came to Illinois. What up? And my wife made the decision that she wanted to go up to Chicago to pick up my sister and brother-in-law and their two kids from the airport. And so, you know, a couple-hour drive, uh, about an hour or so after she left, I get a phone call. And I pick it up just thinking, she's like, oh, just thinking about you. You're just so gorgeous. And, you know, she never does that. So, anyways. And she just says, my car broke down in the middle of the highway. And I'm like, well, you should probably get out of it. It's probably not safe. And she's like, well, no, no, no. Like, like I pulled over. So, okay, well, that's different. Like, it breaks down. At least you're off to the side. And she's handling like a champ. She's like, don't worry. Called the cops, they're on their way. We're gonna call a tow truck. We got all figured out. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I hang up and I'm just going about my business. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta go pick her up now. (laughs) And so I hop in my truck and I go pick her up. And that's like the last thing you wanna do, right? When your family's coming in town, it's supposed to be the happiest, most joyful time of the year. We're gonna spend a couple days after Christmas, a whole week together. And now we gotta deal with this. And we pick her up and it's kind of like, what happened? And the guy's like, I don't know. Sounds like your alternator went out. I was like, okay, that's not a big deal. Like, I know it's probably a couple hundred bucks. He's like, we'll do a diagnostic tomorrow. You guys just go home. We'll figure it out. Great. On the way home, we're kind of a little frustrated because this is unfortunate, right? But then we start to think, well, at least it was the middle of the day. And, and, and at least she was only two miles from an exit, and at least the state trooper had came and sat with her, was very kind and generous and gracious, and, and we were just like, okay, there, there's, this could be worse. It could be something way, way, way worse. And then we get the call from the mechanic, and my wife picks up, and she goes, yeah, I got bad news, which is like never a good sign, right, when the mechanic says that. And he says, yeah, the engine's completely shot. Your, your, your car has no oil in it. Now, what is my response? Oh, honey, it's okay. It's just an engine. <laughs> no big deal. No, I start to like freak out. Like I'm getting a little frustrated. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I told you three weeks ago, you need to go get an oil changeable, but you didn't. And so for like a day and a half, this is my attitude around the house. <clears throat> and I'm walking around. I'm not saying much. I'm just a little peeved and whatnot. And here I am about a week out from saying, I got to stand on this stage, preach a sermon about having joy despite the negative circumstances in your life. God says, you want a good illustration of how you don't do this well? Here it is, buddy. And then you look at Paul. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's preaching the gospel. He's starting churches. He's in prison, in chains because of that. And he says, I want you to have more church in Philippi. He doesn't say, I want you to have more money. He doesn't say, I want you to have more luxury. I don't want you to have an easier way of life or less struggle. He says, I want you to have more joy. I want you to have more knowledge in God. I want you to have more fruit of his righteousness. This source of God's joy is despite the situations and circumstances he finds himself in. 
I just feel like I need to say this to our church because I think our society perpetuates it a little too far, and it's this, is that there is no spiritual power in positive thinking or good vibes. There's no spiritual power in just, well, if I think it, God will make it happen. There is no good vibes. If I live this karmic way of life, God must bless me. If I do bad things, God is going to take care of me on the back end and figure it all out later. There is no way in the word of God that that is true. There is no power in positive thinking. There is no good vibes only form of theology that says, if you declare it, then God must do it. No, 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 no. That is completely false. But what God does says, I will be with you. That I can turn everything that goes in your life into good for my glory. Now, I do believe that hard work does pay off. I do believe that that being disciplined and sticking to a well-thought-out plan is a wise thing to do. I think our perspective on life is also very important about the choices we make. It's kind of like having a pair of binoculars. Now, I can only see out of one eye, so I just get, you know, like a telescope. But anyways... You know when you get binoculars, the whole point of binoculars is there's something off in the distance that you want to see closer or clearer. And so you put on your binoculars, and what does it do? It comes into view. It kind of blocks out everything else. It brings it closer. So that which is far off, you can see much better and clearer, right? But if you take those binoculars and you flip them the other way around, I don't know if you've ever done this before, it does the exact opposite. It takes that which is already far off, and it makes it seem even further in the distance. And it also brings into view a lot of other stuff that may be distracting from your point of view or your reference. See, I believe that's what joy in f- pursuing Jesus is, is using binoculars the right way to say, I know the eternity that Jesus has in store for me. I know what is around this life, but I can choose to focus and bring in clear view that which Jesus has already established for me because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. But we're tempted to flip the binoculars around, following the negative ways of life. It makes that eternity seeming unattainable. It's, there's no way I'm ever going to get there. But that's what joy us is choosing to bring clearer Jesus and his goodness. That's what Paul does here. His joy is not found in his situation. His joy is found in his hope for eternity and the plan that God has for his life. So how do we seek out that joy? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, there's that long-term perspective. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking into your own interests, but unto the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, I believe there's a distinct difference between joy and happiness in our life. Happiness is this. Happiness says, when blank happens, I will be happy. When I get that promotion, when I get that extra paycheck, when I meet that person, When my kid finally moves out of the house after 27 years and we've just been a slow go at it, then I will be happy. But the thing is, with happiness, 
all the stuff that we tend to fill that blank in with, it fades. It goes away. Or it doesn't last. And another blank will present itself. It was the job, now it's the new house. It was the house, now it's the boat. It was the boat, now it's the lake house. You get the idea. That's what happiness is. Joy? Similar, but quite different. Joy says, even when blank happens, I will be joyful. Even though my business didn't go as planned this year, I will still be joyful. Even though my loved one hasn't been healed, I will still be joyful. Even when I get that diagnosis that I didn't want or plan for, I will still be joyful. Even when life takes a turn on me, I will choose joy. Because I knew that life would take a turn. I have set up that soundtrack. I have pre-selected that song that when it happens, joy will be the thing that I play. So let me ask you, where does your joy tend to be found? Is it in your stuff? Is it in your situation? Or is it in your savior? Stuff fades. Cars break down. We got to get new things. We got to replace stuff. Stuff fades. Situations, they flip and they flop. Here today, gone tomorrow. On track, off track. Hitting the targets, failing miserably. Situations flip and flop. And when we focus on either our stuff or our situations, that's when the negativities of life, we flip those binoculars the other way around. Or is your joy found and that your Savior is faithful despite it all? There's a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. Here's a picture of him. You may recognize the name. Uh, at the end of the story, you will probably know, uh, at least be familiar with why he is known. He was born in New York, and then he moved to Chicago in the mid-1800s. Around the 1850s, he became a prominent lawyer and businessman. He was uh, kind of top in his field, at the, at the, the top of the firm. He was also a huge volunteer in his Presbyterian church and on the board of the local YMCA. In 1871, earlier in the year, he had this great idea to invest all that he had because the Lake Forest area of Chicago was expanding. So his money, all of his money, investors, they bought as much property and building and houses as they could on that side of Lake Michigan. If you know anything about history, a few months later was the Great Chicago Fire, later in 1871, and it burned every single piece of land and home that he had. Two years later, in 1873, his wife gets a diagnosis. They say, you need to head to Europe because they have a certain treatment that's probably going to treat her better. And so he says, great, we'll, we'll plan a trip. So he buys a, a ticket to go across the pond, as some say. And he gets a ticket for him, his wife, and his four daughters. They get the plans ready. Two days before the trip, he gets called away on business. And he says, don't worry, you guys go ahead. I'll catch the next boat, and I'll meet you over there. While the boat is traveling, it's hit by another, and it sinks within 12 minutes. All four of his daughters are killed. His wife barely survives. A few years later, his wife dies. He marries again, and he decides to make the trip over to Europe. When he passes over that spot where that ship sank that took all four of his daughters, he wrote some words. What kind of words would you assume that he wrote? Frustration? 
anger. Words, yelling at God, mad at God. How could you, Lord, you not know everything that I've done, everything I've tried to do? Where are you at, God? How could you let this happen? And instead, he writes the words to peace like a river or the hymn that we know as it is well with my soul, as sea billows roar, it is well with my soul. Life will take a turn on us all, but only if we find our joy in our Savior can we have it. Joy is not found in stuff or situation. Joy is found in a person, and that person's name is Jesus. So I want to start off this year imploring us all, we can choose joy. We can We know it's coming. You know it's coming. Select the soundtrack now. Pick the song that you will play when inevitably life doesn't go as you plan. Those resolutions don't last. Those goals don't quite pan out. Something happens with the company or the business or the school or the person. You can resolute to choose joy now. This is how Paul encourages the church in Philippi to do so. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll close here this morning. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Choose joy. Rejoice always, he says. And then he follows it up. I will say it again. Rejoice. Because he knows what we're all thinking in this moment. Well, I get it. I get it, Paul. When life's on track... When money's in the bank account, when nothing's breaking down, everything's going well, the wife and I, we're on good terms. Yes, yes, I get it. Be joyful. You don't really mean be joyful, though, when things aren't going my way. You don't really expect me to, you know, find joy when, when, when things kind of go off the deep end. He's like, no, no, I'll say it again for you. Rejoice always. Because you can choose joy. You can always choose joy. You can pre-select that song. You can know the soundtrack. You can say, life will take a turn on me. You can turn as much as you want, but I will find joy in my Savior because I know what is waiting for me. I have an eternity that is established. His joy is mine because my joy is not found in my stuff. My joy is not found in my situation. My joy is found in my Savior, and He lives. He lives today. Know the song before the season comes. Joy is more than a mindset. Joy is more than just a perspective. Joy brings a greater reward because it says that even when the life turns, even when the storm comes my way, I know that there is peace and stillness with my Savior at my side. I know that there is goodness waiting for me on the other end joy is resolving to play the sound of the goodness of God no matter what comes your way let's be the church 
the Christians. Let's be the community, the husbands, the fathers, the mothers, the wives, the grandparents, the co-workers, the employers, the employees that choose joy this year. Would you pray with me as we worship our source of joy, Jesus, this morning? Lord, we lift up your name and your name alone. God, nothing in life is ever the way we want it to be, the way it ought to be, the way we assume it to be, desire it to be. But you are with us. You are walking beside us. And we can sing those words, peace like a river. We can proclaim that truth. It is well with my soul. Because your joy is the great reward. May we choose your joy over the negativities of life that so easily tempt us. May we sing praises to your name matter the situation we find ourselves because you are good. We offer this praise to you this morning.